welcome. You've got mail. Welcome to another edition of TechStream. I'm Seth Everett. He is the CEO of the Palmer Group, Syracuse's finest, Shelly Palmer. <laughs> Shelly, welcome. Uh, can we stay away from the toxicity of whistleblowers and Facebook? And can I just ask one question? Did you go to Facebook less this week? Because I did. Wow. Um, did I go to Facebook less this week? No. Same. Wow. No. I went a lot less. I was there a lot less. Really? I mean, I don't go that much to begin with. I've limited myself for the last several years to uh, 10 minutes a day for all social that doesn't matter, meaning I have to check it because just in case, you know, Aunt Edna had a kidney stone out or something right. or cousin Janice, you know, had a new baby or whatever, I kind of have to know. And that's where I'm going to learn about it. And those are the good sides of Facebook, but I don't really use it for anything else. WhatsApp, that's business communication for people in Asia and our Asian clients. They all use WhatsApp and a lot of our European clients do too. Um, in fact, I was just reprimanded by a client of mine in Geneva who told me that he didn't want to use email anymore. And I have to find him on WhatsApp. I'm like, wow, okay. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned WhatsApp, and I'll just tell you real quick, uh, John Oliver this week. Watch John Whoa. Oliver. He did the whole thing on misinformation and the spreading of misinformation. And WhatsApp is the biggest culprit. Would have to be because it's end-to-end. -end it's, -end it's not governed. Well, also, you can't put a link in a WhatsApp uh, communication. So you, you can't cite a source. So like everything is self-contained to the, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I'll watch the John Oliver thing, but I mean, that the big, that, that's not news. I mean, there's been around forever. You can't, and what happens is it becomes cultish because whatever, whatever zone you're in, whatever group, whatever cohort you're in will have its own culture and its own dialect around uh, what they do on WhatsApp. And it becomes a, like we talk about echo chambers and these vortexes, these super strong systems that suck you in, but because you can't put a link, it doesn't make a difference. You, no one crazy. gets out of there. So yeah. yeah, that's that's the worst of it. I mean, all by the way, all the end-to-end -end encrypted apps that are used uh, cultural, but you know, culturally, um, wow. It, yeah, it's a big problem. I'll watch the John Oliver thing. I, mean, I, I Oliver love this show. I just haven't got haven't got to it this week. Yeah, you'll get a big kick of that out of that. Uh, we, today we wanted to touch on education, and education is such that we're not going to have the mask in school debate. Um, because, oh, my God, do people fight about this nonsense? Um, I will tell you that technology has been such that now that we're not in this lockdown mode, um, a lot of people are more accustomed to the screens and to be able to enhance the screens. Now, you and I both teach at, at, at colleges. You're doing a lot more virtual than I am. Are we utilizing the tools that we have properly? No, not even close. Um, there is a difference, I think, between... That and the podcast game, by the way, is a loaded question. Yeah, but you know, there's a difference between online learning and online teaching. Online teaching is a lot like television at the beginning of the television business. Everyone had a good understanding of radio and everyone had a good understanding of vaudeville because those were the art forms that were popular prior to television. 
So early television shows are people pointing cameras at either people doing radio shows or doing vaudeville. That's all they knew how to do. They didn't understand mm -hmm. what the conventions of a television show would be. That didn't evolve till the 50s. You know, you didn't get your classic Ozzy and Harriet and then, you know, Beverly Hillbillies and, uh, you know, all the Henning uh, comedies and ultimately the Norman Lear comedies to the 70s. Like that, the, the business evolved over, over several decades where you understood what a television show was, what a sitcom was, what an hour-long drama was, how to handle them in America, how to handle the breaks. It didn't happen internationally because they had a, a different conventions of TV. But the conventions of, of teaching, which a professor... Um, would stand in front of a class and do a lecture where there'd be a lab where there'd be a class that was more Socratic and interactive. Those conventions of being in a class are well understood, but they, they didn't translate them. They haven't in most cases translated them. So people were online teaching during the pandemic, meaning they were sticking a camera in front of them and on Zoom and they just pretended they were just doing what they normally do. But prior to Zoom and available right now, from companies, venerable companies, whose names you know, like McGraw-Hill, uh, textbook manufacturers, are incredible online learning environments where every aspect of audiovisual learning tools are available. Uh, whether you are an audio learner, a video learner, a, a graphic learner, and people say that that's, none of that's true, but you know, however you prefer to get your information, you can have these amazing interactive environments that are not grade specific, but capability specific. So if you're capable of reading at a 10th grade level and you're in third grade, the computer could give it to you if you could take it. We don't see very much of that at all in the public schools and we see you know, almost none of it in the private colleges either, but it's out there. And I think the reason we don't see it is that we're not gonna see it because the teachers and the colleges don't want us to see it. I gotta tell you, I, I'm a brand new professor at an esteemed institution. I was not told how to do my job. I was told if I can't come to the class, I'm welcome to use Zoom or Blackboard. No fault of the universities, but that just perpetuates Zoom and Blackboard. What it doesn't do is make the class I would teach something that is a packaged online learning module where someone could learn at their own pace, assimilate the knowledge, prove they know it, and move on to the next module. Do you think that students, though, attention spans are are lesser when they're on zoom what i found last year when i taught at syracuse i, I was disappointed my my first class was in person i hated the uh, the half and half you know the the half the students are, are in person but the other half are online because you wind up ignoring online it's just human nature you you just you don't focus as much as the people that are sitting right in front of you then it became students requesting all Zoom. And some of it was COVID, but some of it is laziness. And the reality of it is, in my estimation, you're finding people who are, they're just, they're utilizing the tools that they have, but they're doing it so that they don't have to get dressed. They don't have to get up. They can be, you know, can do it in their dorm rooms or, or apartments. It just seems like the, Techn technological alternatives are lazy. Well, I don't know if I agree, Seth. First of all, it costs a lot of money to go to college. And it's usually your money, whether it's a loan or you had to go earn it. So unless you're full ride and quite or quite a privileged child, college costs you some coin. And the issue you're talking about, we see in our corporate clients too, we call it location-based bias. You're in a conference room, 
you're on one camera. There's three of you sitting around the conference table. You're in the office. The other four people are on their laptops in various places remote to you. And they're all full size. They all look like talking heads. But you in the conference room with your colleagues, you all look like tiny little ants at a distant end of a conference table. So immediately everyone's not on the same footing. And there's a the location-based bias, which is terrifying because you'll get up during a bio break and you'll walk out to the restroom with a colleague that's there and you'll have a conversation that no one else is privy to. Now that always happened, except that some of the people that are online probably would have been walking with you had they been on premises. And so all of the serendipity, all of the things that kind of happen, the meeting after the meeting, the meeting during the meeting don't happen. So you need to take special care to minimize location-based bias. And that is a new thing that's real that has to be dealt with. And the way we solve for it at our clients, we've been building these rooms for our clients where there is a common microphone because only one mic can be open during a Zoom in a given location. Everyone in the conference room has to be on their laptop as well so that they are all talking heads. Now everyone's a talking head. And you asked a question I think that's really important. You asked if, if the attention span was different right. on Zoom versus in person. The ability to veg out, uh, to kind of go blank, to get bored is enhanced dramatically when you're not in the same room. The same room, you've got the vibe of the room going. And while you may be bored, you know you can't show it. Like all your spidey senses tingling and you know your boss is in the room and you're not going to like fall asleep. Sure. But you're watching TV, you know, different, different rules apply. So all of us need to learn. Again, it's these conventions of doing life, right? We know how to go to a theater. You sit in a theater, you don't scream at the, at the screen. I mean, you might. Football games, um, my... Uh, my brother-in-law used to scream at uh, the quarterbacks and, and, and referees during football games from the couch, knowing that no one could hear him. But that was like sure. an affectation. In practice, most normal people, not my brother-in-law who's insane, but most normal people wouldn't be screaming at the television set during a football game, knowing right. that there's no one there to hear. So we just need to, to learn how to use these tools better because they're not going to go away. I, I would say somewhere between 20 and 35% of business travel will never come back because it shouldn't and not with these tools available. If you can sit at your desk, that's great. And for students, if you can take a course online, I'll tell you what, I, during the, the height of the pandemic, I was working on some AI stuff and I noticed that I had really a, a giant deficit, personal deficit in my linear algebra. I hadn't really dealt with it since college. And I wanted to do a, a lot of array math for the training sets. I was writing these algorithmic models and I was really struggling. So I said, yeah, I wonder if I can get some online courses in, in you know, linear algebra. I, and I, I went online. I could not believe what was available. I was able to sit in on lectures at uh, Courant the, at NYU, the incredible math school there, and at Stanford and at MIT. Some of the best professors in the world, the guys that teach this like magic was all online. All of it, half of it was free. I, I think I paid 25 bucks for a, a tutorial that I did, and that was very satisfying too. Like I was able to get my linear math, my linear algebra mathematics back up to what I need. Where I, it's still not great, but it's where I needed it to be in like four or five weeks. I was like, okay, yeah, I, now I remember this. I hated it in college. I still hate it, but at least I had to do it. Right, and it's right. like that, 
that to me, it's like, that, I, you'd never want to give that up. I think we don't, we don't use it well, but you'd never want to give that up. Imagine like if you have a, something you really care about and you could go get the best lectures in the world pretty much for free, which I, I was able to do on one super narrow subject. And I've subsequently looked at a couple other subjects. I was, had a huge argument, giant argument, theological argument with a friend of mine uh, a few weeks ago about uh, Canaanite mythology and uh, ancient religion, ancient religions and their, their impact on the, 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 the canon of Christianity, the canon of Judaism as it lives today. Sure. It's a real hardcore conversation about it. I'm like, okay, I got to go find out. You know, there's more online about that from credible sources. Like you can get to every theological institution and get the greatest lectures ever. They give you great books to read. It's like, if you want to be educated, it's out there. That's just up to you. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a great point. You, you do mention, though, as you can transition from education to now entering a workforce. Yep. And I would have to say that if you're newly graduated, there are jobs. There are help wanted signs everywhere. Sure. And there are businesses that are shutting down because they can't get anybody to work for them. What role does tech have with that? Is that I mean, yeah. it, it, do people just want at home jobs? Is it what tell tell me where this is all coming from? This is not just all pandemic and unemployment, right? I, you know, some people have called this the big quit or the great resignation. I know that a lot of friends that are my age have, quote, taken the package, unquote, meaning they were somewhere between 55 and 65. COVID made it really hard for them to do their work. And they're just, you know, I don't need it anymore. I'm being offered a, you know, a severance package. Let me go. So I have a lot of, a lot of my friends did that, but there are a fair number of people who I know who just had an epiphany. And it was like, I now know what's important. I'm going to change the way that I live my life. And they were willing to make personal sacrifices. Not everybody's got unlimited resources. Not everybody saved up enough money to last the rest of their lives. They just decided to make some personal choices. The big unemployment signs out there where, where people just have vacancy, 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 vacancy are the kinds of jobs that you really have to wonder who can take. What do you mean? And what I, what I mean by that, Seth, is that if you go to a four-year institution and you come out with an undergraduate degree and $150,000 worth of student loans, it's probably not the best use of your time to bust tables right now. It probably isn't. But there now, aren't, we're not teaming with med students that can work in hospitals and doctor's offices? The medical, thing, the med, the medical profession is its own separate issue, and I'm not qualified to say what I'm about to say. Okay, what about the travel industry with airlines that are, no, you know, like, again, like it's, it's not just hospitals. It's, it seems like it's everywhere. It does seem like it's everywhere. So, there's a lot of people with a lot of theories about it. There really are. And I don't want to speculate as like, and I'm also not the Oracle of Delphi. I don't have the actual answer to this. What I can say about it, though, with pretty good clarity, is that there's a giant mismatch between the value that you can create and the value that you will be paid for. And we have a, a highly educated group that feels they can't get jobs for what they've been educated for. And this is insanely bad. And I gotta tell you, 
if you're an English major and you don't have a professorship waiting for you and you're not a good writer, you're a technically good writer, but you're not a creatively good writer, you're not a copywriter, you just know the rules of English, I'm glad you're educated, but that's not going to help you get a gig. Right. And if you're not motivated to get out there and hustle, then you're not, I mean, it's like, these are, we, we, we have a, we see candidates all the time that come in with these extraordinary degrees, academic pedigrees that are amazing. They've not done a side hustle. They've not done anything. They've come out of either school or graduate school with no side projects of, of any interest um, and no experience and no very little ambition and no direction. And the degrees they're in that, they've, that, they've, that they bring to us have no meaning in the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be pejorative, but if you have a degree in advanced basket weaving, unless you can apply those skills to data science or marketing or management or leadership or fill in the blank, the 50 other things, you know, analysis, if you, you know, if you're, look, if you can write a decent, if you can decently annotate a writing, like if I hand you a report for school and you can annotate it and then reduce that and write a brief. If you're good at that, then the subject shouldn't matter. You should have that skill. If you can't apply that skill to something that's not in your discipline, then what, well, what, what were you educated to do? So I don't think that the current academics and institutions have done a good job teaching people to teach themselves and evolve. And the world is evolving very quickly. So I think there's a lot of people who have preconceived notions of what job they want. And those jobs don't exist in the way they did 24 months ago. They just don't. We have openings we're never going to fill. There aren't enough data scientists. There aren't enough mathematicians. There aren't enough analysts. There aren't enough people who can make a really good video, edit a video, find the essence of something and go, wow, these are the three salient points. Let's pull these out as sound bites. Let's make something really short out of this, get it out there and communicate it. Like those skills, you can learn them, but they're not taught. And so if we have to teach someone, we might as well teach someone who costs an awful lot less than somebody who's gone to um, four years of undergrad and two years of grad school and comes out with not enough skill to, this, I'd rather grab a high schooler with a lot of ambition who's younger and more, and more comfortable with their social tools. Well, it, it seems like we have this divide because unemployment numbers are not great. and you just go into all these businesses and you see, and I'm not talking about bars and restaurants. I'm not, I'm not telling a college graduate to get a job at Applebee's, but it just seems like there's nobody working anywhere. And there has to be the people who are not necessarily college graduates, the people who are just two-year college graduates, or they didn't go to college and they're looking for jobs and not all the jobs are awful. I, you know, I'll go back to when I was younger and I was the beat reporter for the Denver Broncos and I was making under $20,000 and I needed to pay my rent. So I worked nights at Blockbuster, but I worked nights at Blockbuster because I didn't want to do food. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't want to do food and Blockbuster was movies and it was easy. And that's where I, but, but it wasn't, blockbuster or stay home it was you had to find a job somewhere so you did and you found the job that suits you 
And there are jobs for people who are looking. And what I'm thinking is these businesses are suffering like you wouldn't believe. That stuff that happened with Southwest Airlines, where they're canceling thousands of flights because yeah. they overbooked themselves, like there has to be jobs. If you are, are, are broke right now and you want to get a cool job in the airline industry, go get it. It's there. They're begging for you to come. It's interesting, Seth. I'd love to hear from our listeners what if you're working, if you're not working, and if you're not working, why? We've asked so many people informally in our daily newsletter about this over the last 24 months. Just, you know, what do you what are you trying to where would you would like to work? What are the reasons you're not working if you're not working? There are plenty of people who can't find jobs. And it's again, it's a skill mismatch more than anything else. I, I, the Southwest thing, there's probably more to it than meets the eye. You know, I don't work for Southwest like you. I was sort of stunned at the cancellations. They blame the weather and the pilots union says, well, they didn't, you know, do a work slowdown. But if the, they didn't do a work slowdown, then something something crazy happened because all the other Miami based airlines had no Florida based airlines had no trouble, you know, with their Florida hubs. So th there's something else going on there. But you're right. I mean, on balance, there's there's a look, there are. I don't know how many cargo ships outside of city of industry waiting to unload the supply shock that's supposedly coming is a hundred percent about longshoremen not being available to unload these um, ships and also truckers. But you've gone to grocery made. stores and found things that I, I, I went to a whole foods once they didn't have meat. Yeah. So, well, look, none of us are, are used to supply shock, right? We haven't had real supply shock in the United States since the seventies gas crisis. Where, where we didn't have supply of something like it's been a long time since anybody's gone to a store and go, whoa, wait, no, no, no food. That's cra so, That's crazy. Uh, so crazy. Yeah. Look, we're there's the specter of inflation hanging over us. They keep trying to scare the crap out of us with that. That would be fairly scary if inflation went rampant. I know that uh, I'll give you one personal example that doesn't count for anything, but it it actually woke me up a little bit last weekend. Um, my youngest son and I went across the street to one of our local, one of the local uh, restaurants by my apartment in New York. It's a place that I go all of the time. And it's been there, oh, at least a decade. They serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's, it's not fancy. It's just, you know, a local neighborhood place that you can rely on. And I used to go there three, four times a week. And I haven't been during COVID, obviously. So this was just started a venture out now they you could eat outside they have a thing so went across the street we had brunch on saturday it was 120 dollars for the two of us we each had a bloody mary other than that it was like sandwich and a salad right. or burger and a salad and a couple of drinks 120 dollars. that would have been 44 dollars 18 months ago but right it's not like we're not and, the old men sitting on their porch going baseball was better when dimaggio played like we're talking about 18 months ago I literally couldn't believe the bill. I actually looked at it to make sure that all of the, that it was added up correctly, even though it was done by computer. And it wasn't about the dollar number. I can afford $120 in my, thankfully, knock on wood. I wouldn't have spent it. it. The value wasn't there for a burger and a salad. I had a burger. My son had a salad. We had two Bloody Marys, 120 bucks. Um, no, that that's just not, that's, it wasn't like we were at the um, St. Regis Hotel in the lobby restaurant there, right? I mean, then you understand that why you're paying for that kind of money or at the sure, Regency sure. or at some other place. No, this is the my, this is our local, like our local place you go to get 
a burger and a salad on a Saturday. I couldn't believe the pricing. And so I actually took it upon myself a day later, uh, the, Monday I was walking by, I know the owner there for years. I, I asked him about it. I said, hey, crazy experience on Saturday. He's like, price of food. And he went down the list of things. Help has gone up. He just went down the list of every cost that's gone up. In some cases, 20, 30%. The difference is he didn't raise his prices 20, 30%, Seth. He raised his prices four times. Four, four X, not, not, not two X, not, not one X, right. you know, probably three and a half to four times the price of that, what that, that meal would have been 18 months ago. And that has a lot to do with, I don't know if that's going to rep, if that's replicated, but a lot of my friends, when I brought this up over the last week or so to friends, just anecdotally, I heard similar stories from everybody that does not bode well for inflation, employment, right. unemployment, well, you, you, all of the things that, that make the world work, the little local restaurant should be able to charge local restaurant prices and make a living. There seemingly is, it, it, it's endless. And, you know, we tied it in with education because there is a parallel here. It's that the world seems like it's in flux. It seems like everything is moving at the same fast pace, but we're just, we're transitioning everything. And as we get smarter, as technology gets better, there needs to be better solutions. And so I'm not a, I didn't think we were going to have the solutions today, but no. I knew we could identify the problem. Well, here's the thing, Seth. There's, a, there's an old story that says in 1880, roughly 80% of people in America derived their income directly or indirectly from agribusiness. And by 1920, they derived their income directly or indirectly from industry. That 40-year transition from the agrarian society to the agrarian age to the industrial age was profound in the United States. And people like to make the parallels that in 1980, we were just leaving the space age and getting into the information age. And here at 2020, we are firmly in the information age or whatever, the, whatever it's going to be called when people look back on it. I think this transition happened while nobody was paying attention in class uh, pun fully intended. And what I mean by that is there's a giant mismatch. What should you study in 2020 if you're going to school? You should study what Thomas Jefferson would have studied or what, what, what a young Englishman would have studied at Oxford or Cambridge in 1770. Reading, writing, arithmetic, a little social yeah. studies and the classics. And then someone should give you a pretty hardcore class in searching on search engines and how to find what you need as opposed to, but then, and then have some context as to why, sure. why you're searching for it, because I don't think anyone can, and then you have to choose a specialty and go deep if you want to, or choose to be a generalist and go wide, but the middle ground doesn't seem to make any sense. And we don't see, we're not seeing generalists and we're not seeing specialists that are skilled enough. Like a doctor comes out of doctor school, they're skilled as a doctor. Then they go off to be a specialist. But when you're a, if you're an IT person, you come to us with some data capability you're probably not walking in here as a metaverse specialist, but this week, you know what I need? Crypto people and metaverse people. Right. You got any of those? I'll take them all right now for any amount of money. And right. the better you are, the more I'm willing to pay. I can't imagine that there's a university in the United States or worldwide anywhere that's minting metaverse experts right now or crypto experts right now. And there, there, therein lies the mismatch. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know what's crazy also? Not rating or reviewing TechStream. So you have this app that you're listening to this podcast on. Do me a favor, click a rating 
we would like five stars. Uh, th- that would be nice, but we're not going to be, you know, choosy. If you gave us four stars, we'll take it and just blame it on the Facebook whistleblower episode. I understand all that. <laughs> Nonetheless, rate and review the podcast, and uh, we will continue to have new episodes each and every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe to Shelly's newsletter because it has links to the podcast as well as other great things as well. Shelly, have a great week. You too, sir. That's Shelly Palmer. I'm Seth Everett. This has been TechStream. We'll see you then. Thank you.